Good afternoon, friends and traders. Welcome to the Live It Up podcast. I am Dan Hodgman with the crappy microphone and the crappy audio. I know, I get it. I have been traveling a little bit more than I initially planned, uh, but I'm sitting here with Jack Pelzer. Jack, how are you and your good audio? Yeah, I got one of these uh, real fancy Shure SMB7, so it must be jarring to people to hear such dulcity, perfect sound coming from here, besides the occasional ruckus on Milwaukee Avenue. But one more weekend, Dan, right? Because you're getting something this week, correct? Hoping to get a microphone this week. Disclaimer, I am in the middle of moving. I've been traveling for a month, and my entire life is packed in boxes in a storage unit. So my microphone got packed away with it, um, so I will get this fixed. I do apologize for those that uh, are having a hard time listening to me. Go back to the Oregon Trail style and record things on wax cylinders and play them back with gramophones, Dan. There's, you know, there's no excuses in this business. So I know. with that, I'll punish you by giving you the rundown for today. Go ahead. Absolutely. Let's talk about it. Crude oil, another down day in crude oil. Crude oil is really in just a nice sideways pattern. But the one thing I want to point out, about a month ago, Jack, on the podcast, we talked about $95 on crude oil being a pivotal location. That support level... I would call it a support level. It has truly proven to be a level of support. It has become a brick wall. This market does not want to trade below $95, will not hold down below. Um, so I'm going to continue to really keep a close eye on that level. I think if we can break below it, we may have some nice direction to the downside. But right now, uh, we're in a sideways pattern. So really continue to trade with that mentality. Look for those inside ranges. Define your channels. Everyone knows I love my channels there. Um, so that's what I have to say about crude oil. Let's talk equities, though, Jack. I think this is the big one. Refers to today's conversation. What happened with the Fed yesterday? Well, they raised, yeah, they raised 75 basis points as expected, and uh, really, it was sort of the talking by our man Jay Powell afterwards, throwing cold water and recession things that sent things in a tizzy, and they are tizzying <laughs> up today. Dan, I'll let you do your little speech on the ES and then Q real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Both those markets this morning uh, opened up right where we broke out yesterday. S&P a little bit higher, but NASDAQ right at the breakout level. So a good opportunity off the open, both below settlement price. So what do we like to look for? If the market's opening up away from settlement price, we want to look to close that gap to settlement price. And then we react from there. So those, both those markets close the gaps to settle, even after uh, another um, rough GDP number and officially heading into recession territory. Uh, we got a nice up move here in the equities. Looking at gold though, um, gold, Jack, huge uh, gap open last night, a $20 gap open in the gold market. Um, and then that market continued to rally today as well. So what does that tell us? Really one of the biggest things we wanna pay attention to is these proportions and what's going on with some of these markets. Well, we see gold uh, moving higher, you got treasuries moving higher and equities moving higher. So you have a lot of money in flooding into these, uh, these markets. Eventually, we're going to have to see one of them start to turn around, or two of them, I, I should say, start to turn around. Um, so that's going to be really an interesting uh, play out here down the road. We talk currencies again. Euro rotated back to uh, yesterday's low, pre-open, as soon as it opened. Uh, it attempted to close the gap to settlement price, but really could not get there, and really no surprise either. And then, like I mentioned, 10-year note, huge pop on the GDP number this morning, and from there worked its way sideways, but a nice strong update in that market. I was going to say, that's the main market I'm watching, that 10-year treasury. Good news is bad news. What do we got here? We're down to 2.67. We were up around 3.5, just 
not too long ago. That is a huge move. And what that says is that where is the funds rate now? Uh, what are we around, like 2.5 or something? People are seeing these rates not going higher for very long. That's sort of the story here. And that's why the stocks are exploding. As the rates go down, the valuations go up. So people are putting their belief back in Powell. So what Dan mentioned earlier is what we're calling this episode is the weirdest recession. Because yes, the uh, technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And what was this number this morning, Jack? It was point... Uh, Minus point two. Point nine. Point two. Well, okay. po- annualized, it would be point nine, but okay. mi- minus point two percent. So this brings on the weirdness of the recession because it's really dwarfed by, and I'm sure Hogue's been talking about this on the forecast, is that we have big numbers in play. It reminds me of during COVID where the employment numbers it would be like, who the hell knows? It's going to get revised by double. It's back and forth. It's breaking the mechanisms it's meant to measure. Okay. So the GDP is the sum of all the goods and service traded in the country. And it was down for a second consecutive quarter. But what's unusual is a unemployment's super low. But the big one is that we have inflation at 9%. Now, the GDP is inflation adjusted. So if you do the math there, you know, the 0.9% annualized GDP reduction versus a 9% inflation, there's a lot that could be going either way there. We're right on the border. What's true is that things are slowing down, but it's one of those, the technical term for recession is more of something for politics or the media, right? This, what's clear is we're slowing down, but I think it's far from clear what the next few months bring as far as the economy. Yeah, and you know, I want to kind of talk about, Jack, we use this term, weirdest recession ever. Two years ago, we were in a really, really weird situation, right? We had stimulus coming out. We had loss of jobs everywhere because of COVID. um, And we had to essentially short sight everything we were looking at. We had to think about the now in the moment. But when you start to big picture it, the the things that we were doing then were essentially creating long-term effects. And I think everyone realized that like, Hey, we're giving $2,000 or whatever to every person in America uh, that filled out a, a tax return in 2019. Like there's money getting handed out. We got to remember that money has to come from somewhere. So costs of everything start to increase. And then that has this trickle effect that doesn't last just, just, just because we're technically out of COVID in a way doesn't mean that we're out of the effects that we created because of that. And so it's almost, in a sense, this manufactured idea of a recession. It's kind of how I view it personally, I should say. Yeah, because I I think if you even want to go more broadly, is every recession that we have seen, that we are used to, in fact, we only know one type of recession, and that's a demand recession. So what happens if you look at the... Uh, like great financial crisis or something like that. Basically, the gig's up, people lose their jobs, they spend less. Those people spend less, they buy less things. Those places lay people off. Unemployment goes up, it feeds that way, right? Less demand, more job loss equals less demand, more job loss. And that's how you get a demand recession. This one is very different because it is a supply side recession. That's the way I look at it, i.e., The cost of commodities and oil 
has surged. The cost of everything surged coming out of COVID and still is. That's the strong inflation part of it. But the unemployment side of it is still very strong. It's unusual to be saying, oh, we're two quarters into a recession. And what's the unemployment rate? 3.6%. So we're not used to the dynamics here. I can say, like, for example, with this economy, it's like me personally, I think most people like this. It feels uncomfortable. But it does, for me, it does not feel like I felt in 2008, 2009, or after COVID, or something like that, right? So how it sorts out is that's why you see these wild market swings, right? People are trying to see, get some certainty of where the interest rates will be going forward, if there's going to be the so-called soft landing, or if this is going to fall apart, or things like that. But... I think that the weirdness we're all feeling is something that's really being expressed. Like, it, it feels weird, right, Dan? It does. Jack, you brought up a really good point. You know, unemployment number, super low. Um, it's funny. When I first got into trading, I was told two things. Two days of the month that I didn't matter how sick I was, didn't matter what, what was going on. I didn't miss those two days. It was unemployment number and expiration. I apologize. The dog saw uh, a raindrop fall or something because we're in the middle of nowhere and it makes him bark. Um, the, but no, it really came down. Those are the two most important things. Nowadays, I look at those numbers, mostly I look at unemployment, and I'm not really concerned because people aren't as focused on this idea of the unemployment number. Things have shifted in this market state. Then on top of that, Jack, I recently learned that since 2019, the retail trading world has increased by 300%. So we have really made this transition away from markets being dominated by um, the institution and the banks. Yes, they still have a strong, massive influence on them. But the retail world, guys like you and I, are having a little bit more of an effect on market moves and what's going on in the market. We're seeing Friday certain, to be a little certain bit more markets. actionable. Certain markets. That would be the important caveat there. Yes. Thank you for that. You know, you don't have it in a 10-year note, right? No. Like that's still a heavily bank-affected market. Uh, but things like NASDAQ, the, the involvement there, you have a lot of the retail. The micros, without a doubt, a lot of involvement from the retail there. Um, you're seeing market mentality change month over the like, the seasonality of it, right? Like five, six years ago, summers, you saw a trade on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday really quiet, and Friday pretty much dead. That's not really the case here anymore. So market participation has shifted a little bit. Um, so there's so many different effects that are going on, and it leads to this continuous volatility. You know, you see NASDAQ 2 3% moves on a given day like it's nothing. Yeah. Here's a couple things I'd look out for as a trader as we kind of get into the charts on this because I always use the opportunity to say that we are at 4080 right now in the ES, which is above 4,000. Yeah, Jack wants to remind me. No. Uh, but <laughs> what I'd like to point out there is here's some dynamics you might see as a trader that's trading the ES right now. So we're off. We, hit, we put in lows at about 3650, 3640, something like that. You know, that's nothing to sneeze at coming back. That's... Uh, more than 10% up from there off the bottoms, okay? So now what we see is on the way down, a lot of people were selling, a lot of institutions, things like that. Right now, they're not hurting that bad. They're feeling 
the weirdness too. They are non-committal. They like having dry powder. They will like having dry powder less if the ES gets to say like 4200 or something like that. Remember, they got to try and beat this thing or get close to it. And that's where our favorite trading mindset, FOMO, can raise its head. What we could be seeing here these last two days in the uh, NASDAQ and the S&P is a lot of FOMO from people. Like if, if this is really the bottom, people want to be in, right? You don't want to be sitting on a lot of cash if you're an institution as this is rising up. And I think especially if we look at the levels I'm looking here, so we're well through the 50-day moving average. I think if we get around 4,200, you might see some more of these almost uh, squeezes, panic bids. But once again, Dan, I'm not so sure about all of this. We're still in uncharted waters here. There's a lot of uncertainty geopolitically, fiscally. Midterms around the corner. Midterms around the corner. That's the biggest thing, too, where I feel like too much is made out of that. I I don't see things changing tremendously depending on one way or another. I think there's chances of it, though, and I think that's what people are looking like. Forget the idea of like really what the actual outcomes can be if you start to really break down the idea of midterms. But there's the mentality of, oh, snap, it really could change. I think it's that like minute far off thing that not minute, the minor far off thing that's like, hey, there's still a chance. Therefore, I don't want to commit. I did it today. I just transferred some cash into my investment account and I started looking at it. And I was like, okay, I want to start considering buying into some new stuff, putting on some new positions. And as I started thinking my long-term outlook, I reeled back my mentality because I'm thinking right now, my opportunity, and this is just for me personally, right? My opportunity is much more short-term. I don't see a huge, and I look at, I, I set myself up in a bunch of different ways, right? I think I have my day trading stuff. I have my weeklies and my monthlies. I have my annuals is stuff I'm looking at for years, one to two years, and then I have that far out retirement, set it and forget it and never think about it type stuff. That stuff, I'm happy to do whatever in that aspect. It's that one to two year and those monthlies that right now I'm on edge of thinking, ah, I'm going to rein that idea back in and I'm actually going to hold tight on the long-term stuff. I'm going to look at a little bit more short-term stuff. Where can I find some short-term gains? Because I don't know what the future holds. Where historically I felt a little bit more comfortable with ourselves, with the economy, with everything going on and saying, hey, I can do something for a year on this or I can do two years on this and I'm okay there. And I'm seeing wild swings. Well, there's a certain um, stock that I've been involved in for quite some time that six months ago it was at a price and now it's about an eighth of that price. Unfortunately, still have the money on it, but it's like huge swings and earnings have come out great on it. Um, Projections have come out very good on it. There's a lot of question of like, this is obviously there's fear across the board and everything. And that's one of these products or one of the stocks that has taken a little bit of hit because of it. And so now I have to sit here and make that long-term decision on something I don't want to think long-term on. Yeah. And it's weird to say that as the VIX is only at 22.3 right now as I'm looking at it, which that's more why when I look at the super short, term stuff is usually I'm selling options and like none of that appeals to me right now. It's not my personal VIX 
my 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 Jackie P VIX, so to speak, is higher right now than the actual VIX. So I don't want to be selling options on any of these things. Can we trademark that the Jackie P VIX and get a daily report on it? <laughs> that would be great. The Jackie P VIX today. I should be forced to submit something at nine a.m. each morning and see like how it I would subscribe to that. <laughs> yeah, because I think that there is. Like you mentioned with the midterm thing, the reason you get paid on investments is for the risk. And as you get closer to an event, and especially past it, the possible outcomes converge. That's why the market's the ultimate discounting machine, we say. So, you know, if we knew where something was going to be, then it would just gradually go to that price. And that's kind of what a like a treasury bill is, really. You know, you know you're going to get your 3% or whatever you get your um, yield at when you get into it. And that's just how it is, unless we're all uh, eating squirrels and living in the forest in eight years or something <laughs> like that. So, yeah, go ahead. No, you mentioned earlier FOMO, and it registered with me just a minute ago. I saw a comment in our Facebook community, and I can't quote it exactly, but it was really about this comment about trading those numbers, you know, do you hop in a minute or two after? When do you get in? I saw one person commented on it and said, you know what, these numbers are just too volatile. You got to stay away from because you don't know what can happen. And then I saw basically the polar opposite comment saying, hey, as soon as that market picks a direction, just hop in and go. And I wanted to use this because it's a really educational thing, right? We see these big quick swings and they are exciting. And I am no stranger to wanting to hop in on fast, quick moves. It's happened to me a million times. I've done it a million and one times, and I've probably lost 900,000 times on the million and one times I've done it. Um, it is exciting. And I just wanted to take this as a quick minute to talk about this idea of these types of moves and the FOMO that gets involved. If you hop in it, I'm not going to sit here and say, don't do it. I'm going to say, be cautious. Be careful when you do it, because even if that market starts to pick the direction, the intra-move swings, you see them in 30 seconds and 10 seconds, you know, something like the NASDAQ can come back 80 points on you. Uh, you can get stopped out. You have the right direction, but because you don't have that appetite for risk on that pullback, you're going to miss out on the move. Um, so just something I wanted to point out, just to be cautious when you have FOMO, that's okay. It's an okay thing, right? It's not always important to be in on every single move. Mick says it all the time on Coach's Playbook. Our job as a day trader is to take pieces of the move and we don't have to get in on the whole thing. So just wanted to point that out there. When you do have FOMO, it's totally okay and it's totally normal, but be cautious when you're getting into those moves. If you are going to trade it, it better be with really small size with a ginormous stop and a massive, much more than ginormous profit target. I suppose there's nothing wrong with that if you want to take a, like, a, for your normal trade size flyer, especially like, didn't happen this time, but anecdotally, I could go back and back test that I feel like there's a move and then to the other side after the Fed for a while was doing that is, you know, if you if you want to do that at some asymmetric risk thing, I have I have it. I have terminology I use for those types of moves, Jack. There's the emotion and then there's the reaction to the emotion and then there's the actual reaction to the number. Uh, so you have three different things that happen when a number comes out. There's this emotional trade where everything goes kind of wild. And I think a lot of people think, hey, 
there's action and people are trading. Let's zoom in on that part first. So like that first part you said, when we say that emotion, that's not just emotional anymore. That's also algorithms and tape readers going as quickly as possible to parse words using algorithms and go with the momentum, trying whatever voodoo they're doing, they're trying to do it right away. That's who's in there first. And what it is, too, it's not just an outright algo that's outright trading something like the NASDAQ. It's a system that's saying, hey, with every one-point move, there's this term called the delta. I mean, a lot of traders out there know what a delta is, right? As the market's moving, your delta just, which tells you exactly where you need to be to, risk, to neutralize your risk. And so each point it moves, it may say you have a, let's sim simplify things. So your delta is based off 100 options. And each point it moves, maybe you have a one delta per point. So if it moves up a point, you've got to sell, sell one to maintain delta neutral. So it's doing that this whole time. And these computers are going to do it a thousand times. And so everyone, most human nature is starting to pull out there and say, okay, let's let this slow down. It's all the algorithmic things trading. And then those big position guys that are saying, okay, let's hold our delta. We're going to trade every five points. So we'll, we'll fill every 10 and they'll just stack the book all the way down knowing what their deltas are. Yeah, the big guys need liquidity. And there's a thousand things. It just isn't just options that could be trading too. I mean, you don't, when you see that initial rip, you might see someone plowing into the offers, right? But that person could have been filled or that person or institution or whatever could have got some ridiculous fill in some other market that they're, this is the same thing you're describing with the options, that they immediately have to hedge and they don't care about the price. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to do with the actual move. That's why these moves are so erratic and why, unless, unless you are trading some sort of spread or hedge strategy, once again, I don't recommend trading right on the numbers. Yeah, and a lot of these hedges, like you said, Jack, they don't care about the price. They just need the they they need that position. They need to be long or short um, that product because that's how they have to trade. Like sometimes, whatever the price is, it doesn't really sometimes matter. Just get the fill. I used to get yelled at all the time. Price doesn't matter. Get the fill. Price doesn't matter. Get the fill. When I was hedging for uh, for traders, because things could get really bad. So after you have that initial rip, what was the second stage? Then you have the reaction to the emotion. That's, this is when the FOMO traders start to jump in, and all of a sudden you start seeing a ton of people pile in under that initial move, and then those algos, those systems are slowing up because now all of a sudden now you're helping out that market slow down a little bit. And then we see potentially a, a reversal or potentially we see continuation. It, it's not guaranteed on what's going to happen, but you have the reaction to the emotion. So that's when that retail, I think it's retail a lot of times, but there's a lot more to it too, right? But the retail starts coming in because FOMO kicks in. Hey, this thing just started ripping lower. I got to start selling it. And then we're starting to create liquidity for this market when, when sellers are coming in, buyers are coming in, and all of a sudden we're starting to thicken that market up. And then we flip to the actual reaction to the number. And that's when those people that avoided the FOMO, maybe the bigger institution, maybe bigger size, starts to recognize, all right, the FOMO people, they're either getting their, their wins or their losses here. We're starting to see them peel out. Now let's actually analyze the number. Maybe we heard Powell speak. Powell just started talking, and he's giving us a little bit more information outside of just saying raised at 75 basis points. Um, and now we're getting that actual valid information of what's going to really move the market long-term. And when I say long-term, 
maybe a day or two, it can change very drastically, but of course. Uh, maybe a day or two, we're going to start to see that more um, structured move based off the number. That's a good framework for looking through that. I like that. And uh, you'll get plenty of chances to do it because, as we mentioned, this uh, economy is nuts right now. So I think we're going to have some sustained until the inflation gets to a reasonable range or at least turns the corner, which I've already staked my already battered reputation on the next CPI number being lower. I you won't have. forget that. We'll see what happens. But um, oh, this, have to wait yeah. and see. Well, we'll wait and see. But until then, hope we described some of that, what you might be seeing. So, Dan, I think that's probably where we will leave it today. Uh, you're going to go to your retailer choice and get one of those USB mics like the, uh, the, the, the zoomers have. Right. And yeah, uh, we'll get a big, we'll get the big obnoxious one. I've seen those like stands with the big, like white. Oh, the I, I, yeah. Like those like <laughs> sound know. booth things. My wife uses sometimes <laughs> on this mic. It's, it's, it's unsettling. And what was I Cover talking my about? My whole face. Zoomers don't even use USBs. I don't even know what they use. I'm old. Anyway, we'll, uh, take you into the weekend well we still have friday so hopefully probably be some volatility tomorrow but as always i try and stay away from it besides maybe the morning so once you get done with that dan thanks for joining today or thanks for letting me join you should i say always a pleasure jack all right everyone we'll see you next week until then stay safe namaste and trade well the limit of podcast is a production of top step to learn more about our trading evaluations for futures traders, go to topstep.com. We'll tell you all about it there. We'll see you next week.